Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Friday, June the 10th, 2022, and this show will be rebroadcast on Monday, June 13th, 2022, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us. At koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 111th post COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. It has been almost four months since Russia invaded Ukraine in what they called a special operation. Thousands of people had died at the hands of the Ukraine army in the Donbass area before the invasion, and tens of thousands of Ukrainians and Russians have died as a result of the Russian invasion. However, tonight we return to the coverage of Yemen that this show has covered since the 2015 aerial bombing by the Saudi-led coalition began with U.S. support. And it is striking to me that every day since the Russian invasion, we have seen the carnage, the death, the civilians or soldiers that have died. All of this, it's hard to deny, has not been put on the front pages of news and newspapers in order for us as a culture to despise our great enemy, Russia. Many listeners may feel this is a insensitive comment or observation. However, if our real interest that was the primary motivator for our news coverage of the Ukraine crisis was a humanitarian one, why is it that over the last seven years, since 2015, there's been a near complete censorship of news and coverage of the horrific outcome of the Saudi-led U.S.-backed blockade and aerial bombing of Yemen that we will see in this show arguably has taken a million Yemenese lives. It would seem that a million lost souls would deserve equal or more coverage than the Ukraine crisis if in fact our media coverage and government policies were driven by humanitarian interests. Tonight our guest, Dr. Aisha Juman, with the Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation joins us to give us an update and compelling overview from a Yemenese medical perspective. Please stay tuned and enjoy. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness Monday News and Analysis. This is your host, Pedro Gatos. Today is Friday, June the 10th, 2022. This show will be broadcast on Monday, June the 13th, 2022, from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We are very blessed to have with us Dr. Aisha Juman. She is a 
MD and has a master's of public health. She's been working for over three decades in public health. She's worked around viral vaccines, preventable diseases, cervical and breast cancer research or surveillance, maternal child health and nutrition and primary care, as well as women in development. A native of Yemen, it's been a little bit of time since we've refocused on Yemen. We've been covering this conflict since its inception, or at least the military side of it, since the 2014-15 period, and it's been too long to not come back to it. One of the things that we have noticed throughout all of these years, and I think it's a good way to start the show off, is the total ignorance of the American public about the conflict because it's just not covered. It's not covered by Western media. It's not covered by U.S. politicians. And it's a very sad state of affairs in that some close to 400,000 Yemenis have perished over this period of time. First of all, Dr. Juman, welcome to bringing light into darkness. Thank you very much for having me. I'm blessed to be with you and your audience today. Well, thank you. Thank you for that very much. What I wanted to introduce the show with because I think it's the most important thing. It, it, it has to do with life itself and particularly the most vulnerable children. And on this show, we've reported over the years what an incredible burden women of the world play in the developing world and in insulating as much as possible the elderly and the young from the ravages of these terrible outcomes driven by unbridled self-interest and profiteering at the expense of others. Whether they're wars, whether they're failure to provide opportunities to procure food and shelter. But according to a UN development program estimate, this is back in 2022, around February, they were indicating that there were some 377,000 deaths by the end of 2021. And nearly 60% of those stemmed from unreliable access to food, water, and health care. There's also been a, a devastating cholera outbreak that's infected over a million Yemenis and, and taken the lives of another 3,000 more between 2016 and 2021. I thought I would first start off by asking you, before we get a little bit more into the profile of the children in Yemen, diseases you know, like cholera are supposed to be things of the past, but they're way too prevalent. I remember in Haiti, there was a big outbreak of cholera in our own hemisphere here. But can you tell us the significance of what cholera means with respect to sanitation, access to water and nutrition, those types of things? Dr. Jermaine, and again, thank you for joining us. Sure. Thank you. Uh, you're absolutely right. Yemen has experienced the largest cholera outbreak recorded in history. There were over 2.3 million cases of cholera in Yemen. And this is due to two factors. One is the war and the destruction, purposeful destruction of the water facilities and water systems in Yemen by the Saudi-led war and airstrikes that are supported by the U.S. government. And the second part of it is because of the blockade on the country. So Yemen is inflicted with two major man-made crises. One is the bombing that had been going on since March 2015, every single day. And then the siege on Yemen that does not allow things that are needed, whether it's medicine, whether it's uh, things to help the health facilities, so we know, for example, in Yemen, that only 50% of the health facilities are functional. 
the other 50% have already been destroyed through mostly through the airstrikes uh, by the Saudi-led coalition. And that's why we have the largest recorded outbreak in history. And it's, we shouldn't, like you said, in this time and age, be experiencing such a huge outbreak of cholera. Even the cholera in Haiti, and I know that was introduced, unfortunately, by people who went there, pales in comparison to the outbreak in Yemen. And as I said, in Yemen, it's man-made and supported by uh, the U.S. government. And not just cholera. We also have a diphtheria outbreak. Uh, Yemen has not seen a diphtheria outbreak since 1980. And now we have an raging diphtheria outbreak. Uh, we also have measles outbreak. And we had uh, vaccine-derived polio. And Yemen had been clear and certified free of polio for the longest time. So when you have a war that destroys the health system, you, when you have an economic war through the blockade that makes it very difficult, not just for the population to have a proper way of living, but also for the health system to survive and to provide services. That also is very crippling. And, and like you said, and I agree with you 100%, is those who, are, who suffer at the end, it's mostly the vulnerable and women and children are the most affected by this. Add to that, we have a severe food insecurity in Yemen due to the blockade and the purposeful destruction of the economy in Yemen. The Saudi-led coalition purposefully targeted all food sources within Yemen. So in addition to preventing food from coming from outside Yemen and crippling the economy, they also destroyed food sources within Yemen, whether it's you know, animal farms or, you know, farms that produce fruits or vegetables and all of that. So with that, we have today about 16.2 million Yemeni people who are at risk of famine. And then this number is going to grow to 20 million by the end of this year. So, yeah, this is really a bleak picture, but I, I think it's really important. You mentioned a few things that I think we really need to bring to light and not necessarily in this order. So this military conflict, it starts in 2015 around March with a lot of aerial bombings by the Saudis. There's a coalition of nations that are predominantly Gulf cooperation nations. These are monarchies. These are countries that they don't even have constitutions. This is the Saudi-led coalition that the United States is foreign policy is complicitly leading and executing. Not only is this devastation kept from the American public and the Western public largely, but the fact that the infrastructure is targeted by these bombings, that there's an intentional and intentionality to devastate the economy is a blatant war crime, period. There's been, as you indicated, an acute increase in malnutrition, and, and then also what they call severe acute malnutrition. And that, 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 that according to the UN, it's been raised to like 16% of the population when it comes to acute malnutrition and 22% for severe acute malnutrition. I have studied for a long time how vulnerable little, little bodies are, these little children, because yeah. the internal chemistries, there's not much to it because <laughs> they're so yeah. small, you know, we're, we're yeah. two-thirds water, we're two-thirds fluid, but 
But the malnutrition, what I've come to understand is it, it damages a child's physical and cognitive development, particularly during the first two years. So, and a lot of this can be, I, I hate to seem so grim, but it's irreversible. I mean, they can go on to develop, but the potentiality of of this blessed blessing that we all have, namely cognitive thinking and critical thinking and, and the cerebral cortex, these damages are really compromising and, and, and challenging. And so when you think of the of Yemen being perhaps the most dangerous place in the world to live, one of the things that really concerns me and I really wanted to bring light to is in your experience, and you've been involved for so long with trying to bring this to light, the United States, we claim to be great defenders of human rights. We go into Libya under a false pretense in 2011 to protect the Libyan people, but in fact, they had the highest human development index in the African continent at that time. Time and time again, we have this bloated military budget we are the greatest arms purveyor of the world. And I think it's close to 75% of these arms that Saudi Arabia have, which may be... And many consider the greatest human rights violator in the world, comes from the United States. And so I guess my question is, why has this blockade that you referred to, why has this ongoing bombing continued through three presidents of the United States, starting with President Obama, Donald Trump, and now Joe Biden, continued to go unfettered, yet most of the world does not even really realize this devastation. Can you share your perspective a little bit from the political perspective for us? First, I want to thank you for bringing out the devastating impact of malnutrition on young children. You are absolutely right. Cognitive development is irreversible. And a lot of these kids, we now have 5 million Yemeni children who are are malnourished and their cognitive development is going to be affected. And this is something that Yemen will have to deal with for many generations to come. Going back to why this is going on, you know, with the presidents of the U.S., I think there are multiple reasons. One is we have the arms industry that is very powerful. And we've heard multiple times CEOs of the arms industry celebrating wars because they know that will generate a lot of profits for them. So that's one thing. The other thing is we also have a lot of think tanks that are paid by foreign entities, including the Saudis, the Emiratis where they pretend to be experts on different areas and either write to sway U.S. policy to be favorable to these nations, or they also work as contractors or as advisors to these presidents. And they always put in the perspective of these nations, not necessarily our nation or our national interest. And then you have the media also that covers up, and I actually call the Yemen war a blacked out war. You know, people call it the forgotten war. It's not a forgotten war. We've seen how the Ukraine, the aggression on Ukraine is covered and how it's talked about. Mm -hmm. It's actually very similar. What the Saudis are doing in Yemen is very similar to, you know, what's happening in Ukraine. Yet we don't see the same exposure or the same narrative being portrayed in any of the U.S. main media. And then we also have lobbyists. Saudi Arabia in 2017 spent 
you know, over $27 million on lobbyists. And every single member of Congress and the Senate has a devoted lobbyist on behalf of Saudi Arabia. And if you also have then the Emirates next to that, then you have two devoted lobbyists for every single member. So a lot of these put a sway and may and let or make the American public unaware of what's truly going on. And then you also have people like McGurk, who is now the national security advisor to President Biden, who has strong relationships with the Emiratis and the Saudis and the likes. And he considers them his friends. He doesn't want to change the status quo. And he does. Excuse me, yes. doctor. Can you repeat the name of the national security advisor? I missed that. McGurk. And he's spoken, I mean, he's spoken several times saying that they are his friends, that the Emiratis would call him at the middle of the night, and he has to respond to them. Excuse me again. Is, it, wasn't he also in the uh, in the similar position? Of, as <laughs> he started with, yes. He, in the Obama, in the Obama right, administration. Right. And, and, and Trump, and he's been in his position for a long time. He is responsible for a lot of the mess uh, the U.S. created in Iraq. And uh, there is actually a very good article by uh, Akbar, uh, Akbar Shahidi in the Huffington Post about him that came out last week. It basically says he creates crisis that he then is called to deal with. So it's a very scathing article about how many mishaps and crises that he has created. And it's just really flabberg- I'm flabbergasted that someone like him continues to serve under so many presidents. He started under Bush, the son, and he continues until now. And his policies we know have failed, yet they keep tapping and tapping him into these very important positions. You know, it's, I really appreciate the, the depth of analysis and understanding you have on the political side. That's, it doesn't surprise me, but that's very well put together. And I think when you try to deconstruct these incredible uh, unacceptable levels of poverty throughout the world and severe poverty and the things that, you know, Yemen is just the face of, of some of the worst of this, but there's way too much of that throughout the world. And, and so much of it, I believe, comes from a global system that is profoundly promoting and has always protected this terrible, terrible levels of wealth inequality in the world. And so then you have a country like the Saudis that have so much money. And as I think you very well indicated, really importantly, think tanks are part of informational propagandizing, yet you don't know. You are getting propagandized, nor do you know who's paying for them, but you hear their ideas being the dominant ideas night after night on cable news and in the Washington Post and in the New York Times. And in addition, to the think tanks, you mentioned the lobbyists as well. So it really is a very disconcerting type of deal to see that the information that's made available to the public is so much influenced by those that have such a vested interest in the profiteering that goes on that's defended as normal and you know we don't even look at it by these think tanks and lobbyists. Who arguably are no more than paid public relations agents that have unlimited access to our major medias and therefore to the United States public to promote a false narrative that promotes the status quo 
of the wealth inequality that has taken our democracy. I wanted to ask you, when you think about the complicity of the United States, it's not just the uh, selling of the arms to the Saudis, but my understanding is also the logistical support that the United States provides how to fly these planes, how to refuel these planes in the air, how to protect the Saudis from retaliation from the rebel groups that have developed due to this crisis as well, how all of that is just blamed on Iran, even though in interviews that I've done with a number of other people, the the relationship that Iran has to the Houthis is, is much, much different in volume and in quality than the United States has with the Saudis and these other Gulf cooperation nations. Can you speak about that as a, a Yemeni and a doctor? You're so uh, knowledgeable on, on addressing all of these health issues and such, but at the same time that we're addressing them, we've really got to get to the core and the understanding of what creates these types of conditions too. And it sounds like you have a very high IQ there. <laughs> Can you share your thoughts there? Thank you. You're absolutely right. I, I want to start by saying this war could not have started without the U.S. support. Under President Obama, he unfortunately agreed to support this war. And it's not just providing them with weapons. It's logistics. Uh, at that point in time, is mid-air refueling. It's targeting, even targeting uh, lists and all of that. And President Obama did it because he wanted to have the Iran deal. And that was one way to please and appease the, the Saudis. So in a way, Yemen was sacrificed for the Iran deal. And we don't have an Iran deal today. We know President you know, Trump had scraped it and President Biden has not even gotten back to it. So yes, and then under President Trump, he was very vocal and very clear that he will continue to support the Saudis uh, on the war in Yemen. And then President Biden, when he was running for office, he did say that he's going to be ending all U.S. support to the Saudi-led war in Yemen. We were very excited as on his first national speech after being elected. He also said the same thing and that he was going to you know, make Saudi that her, under Mohammed bin Salman, a prior state that it is. And we were all very encouraged. However, none of this happened. And he continues to support them until today. We know that they support them with logistics. Uh, we know, for example, the fighter jets the, that bomb Yemen. A simple thing that the U.S. can have is not, you know, not send them tires. These fighter jets need to change their tires every other day. If we just stop sending them tires, these jets will be grounded and they will not be able to bomb Yemen. And so when President Biden said then we will not support their offensive targeting of Yemen, we said, OK, we'll see what offensive means. So when, a, you know, a fighter jet takes off and goes to bomb a country, that is offensive. That is very clearly offensive. We're still supporting that. We're still doing maintenance and repairs for them. We're still sending them parts. So nothing has changed through three presidents. And it's like I said, and, and like we discussed earlier, there, there is a, a whole group of people, whether it's national you know, advisors, whether it's think tanks, all of them pushing for this to continue. And now we hear in the media that President Biden is planning to visit Saudi Arabia. And this is some, something that, OK, if you want to visit Saudi Arabia, 
Are you going to end their support for the war on Yemen? What are you getting out of this visit? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's something that we are very concerned about. There is right now a resolution in the House. It's called the Yemen War Power Resolution. It was introduced by Representative Jayapal and Defazio, and also a chef. And we are hoping that more people will call their representatives to ensure that they support this resolution to end the U.S. support for the Saudi-led war on Yemen. Mm-hmm. We now have over 62 representatives supporting this, and I hope your listeners will also participate in calling their representatives and senators to ask them to support the law that ends U.S. support for the Saudi-led war in Yemen. It's a war power resolution. So we're very interested in seeing the outcome of that. A similar law was passed by both the Senate and the House in 2019. However, President Trump vetoed that. We hope that this time, a, you know, a resolution like this will strengthen President Biden's hand in telling the Saudis, you know, we have to stop this. The American public wants this to happen. And so that's something that we are hoping will happen. And Senator Bernie Sanders is planning to introduce it in the Senate as well. Dr. Juman, we need to take a quick break for the cause. This is 91.7 KOOP, Hornsby Austin. We'll be right back with our very special guest, Dr. Aisha Juman, right after this. Stay tuned. Don't touch that dial.